and welcome to another exciting edition of Talks Now. I'm your host, Matt Zuckerman, physician and medical toxicologist from the University of Colorado School of Medicine. Now, this is a fun two-part episode where we talk to Chris Hoyt about athletes, performance, and performance-enhancing drugs. Now, before we begin part one, a quick disclaimer to satisfy the lawyers. It's hard to talk about performance-enhancing drugs without naming names. And so we do. Some pretty famous names. But we should say that all of the cases discussed are alleged. We have not reviewed the individual cases or medical files, have not provided care to anyone mentioned, and are only using specific athletes as examples of alleged uses of performance-enhancing drugs. So I guess what I'm trying to say is... Please don't sue me. Now, many of these stories are already in the popular press, so should not be a surprise here. And with that done, let's jump into the first part of our interview with Chris. I want to thank Chris Hoyt, who is toxicologist and fellowship director for the RMPDC. And today, Dr. Hoyt will be talking to us about something that uh, I am not familiar with at all. It's something I've never found that I needed Performance-enhancing drugs. Uh, thank you, Chris Hoyt. Ah, thanks for having me, Matt. So one of the reasons I'm having you here is I was at ACMT last year, and I saw your talk, and I said, wow, this is incredible and fantastic, because you talked about performance-enhancing drugs. Right. Yeah, so it is, uh, it's interesting. I, I, I kind of fell into this in my fellowship. We were noticing that we were getting some calls uh, in, a, in a, a short span of time um, from high school, about high school students who were taking uh, different performance-enhancing drugs. And, you know, first, as you get a phone, first couple of calls, just look some stuff up and go, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Um, but then it became interesting because now I went from um, wondering how you help treat or manage these cases to, okay, well, why are these people actually taking these drugs in the first place and what do they do? So we started doing a little bit of research on them and we got cooler and cooler. And so I got really interested in the whole landscape of performance-enhancing drugs. So, and that's classic talks, right? Like, we don't create the experiment. We don't create the clinical question. The world creates it. People reading online create it, and then we're sort of stuck dealing with it. And just to clarify, oh, we're making a little assumption here. Because there seems, there's like, there's, when, when I get an email about a performance-enhancing substance, that's often like a, a sexual performance-enhancing substance versus a sports performance-enhancing substance. And which one are you going to talk about today? We're talking about athletic performance-enhancing. Drugs. Okay, just all right. To be, just to be clear. Okay, so we'll save the sexual performance enhancing drugs for another time. That's another right. talk. All right. Very good. All right. So, so, so these were athletes that were using in high school. Yeah. So that's actually the the the, the high school athlete is actually the concerning cohort because you know if you think about professional athletes, professional athletes have physicians, they have safety, they have monitoring, they have they get all the information they need. Um, and it's in the best interest of whatever team that they're playing for because they're assets to this team that they take care of these athletes to the, the highest degree. Whereas the high school athletes are trying to emulate their professional stars. And so they use, they try to use a lot of the same substances that these athletes and the pros are using. However, they're doing so, number one, without any supervision, two, with no education, and three, unfortunately for a high school athlete, if they're not performing as well as they want to, because they, they need to get that D1 scholarship to, to college, an athletic scholarship, so they're not performing like they want to. They just take more and more and more of these to the point where they actually go on and get sick. And so that high school athlete, that cohort is really the one where you know a lot of the research gets done for the elite athlete in this, 
However, that information gets disseminated down to the high school athlete a lot because the high school athlete is the one that's most vulnerable to the toxicity. Okay. So they want to emulate their heroes. That's right. They want to go on and make big bucks. That's right. Um, but they don't have the support. And like they don't have like a, a frontal cortex really because they're in high school. That's right, exactly. And nothing bad can happen to them. They, you know, you hear about all of these uh, these stories about professional athletes getting either getting sick or getting caught using performance enhancing drugs. And and at the high school level, that same kind of drug testing is not there. And so a lot of the high school athletes don't think that anything bad can happen to them because you don't really hear about professional athletes. Except for cycling, cycling is a different story. But in the NFL or in in NBA, you don't hear about these professional athletes really getting all that sick from the performance enhancing drugs that they use. But in high school, the high school athlete is a different story again because there's no, there are not these um, these breaks, if you will, out there to make sure that they're not going to get sick from these. So there are these stories about these kids taking all sorts of different things and getting sick. Okay, right. And so I think the first drug class we think of when we think of performance enhancers, everyone's seen the after-school special about Jimmy using roids and then getting angry. And it's like, what's wrong with you, Jimmy? Mm -hmm. And you're all of a sudden, you're jacked and you have acne and small testicles. That's right. Okay. That's by far away the most, in my share of the public, anabolic steroids or androgenic steroids are, you know, the one that everyone thinks of when they think of a high school athlete. There was a summer where Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. Mark McGuire played for the St. Louis Cardinals. Sammy Sosa played for the Chicago Cubs. Both of these guys hit over 60 home runs, and that hadn't been done. So Roger Maris previously had the record for home runs in a year, which was 61. One summer, uh, Barry, or excuse me, Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire both hit over that number, just the two of them in the same year. And when you look at their before and after pictures, when they came in the league, and that year, both of them had gotten extraordinarily bigger. So there was a lot of speculation as to whether or not these guys were using performance-enhancing drugs. And, of course, there was an investigation into it. Both of the guys said they never used it. They didn't use They were it. just on a paleo diet. That's right. That's right. They said exactly right. Just protein shakes. That's all they need is protein shakes, they said. And it came out to be that they both were using androgenic anabolic steroids during that particular time. That's why they got so big. And both of them go on to break Roger Maris's record, which stood for a long, long period of time until that year. Okay. So anabolic steroids, the uh, metabolism of steroids is really kind of interesting to me, which also affects the regulation of steroids in terms of precursors and, right. and parent compounds and actual products. So, so in the end, it came out that they were, do we know exactly what, what type of steroid they were using? So Mark McGuire was using androstenedione was the steroid that he was using. And the key is, is that um, androstenedione at that time as a steroid was not illegal. The steroid he was using was not on the list. However, if you give someone androstenedione, downstream metabolism makes, you know, takes a a downstream to testosterone. So it's smart. Um, It's an intelligent way of boosting the concentrations of testosterone in your body. Um, And so that's what he, uh, that's what he was using. He was using androstenedione, which is just an upstream precursor to testosterone. And and testosterone is good because it leads to increased muscle mass, fat catabolism. Yeah. So you, um, it's anabolic in that you build, it's building muscle mass. It also helps you because now you're building more lean muscle mass. You end up burning. It's like a, it's like a factory. And so you end up burning a whole lot more fat. And so, and you gain weight, obviously, you gain weight using this because you have much more lean, uh, lean muscle present. And so that's the primary reason why athletes use t- 
testosterone. Okay, but you become kind of like a teenager with the acne and the mood swings right. with the increased testosterone. That's exactly right. And then the body loves to take testosterone and play a little joke on you. And <laughs> then all of a sudden... atrophy is yeah. a side effect of taking steroids. And that's because of the down-regulation of uh, the sex hormone that's stimuli. Right. That, what is it? It's the... Not GnRH, no. So you mean FSHLH? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so yeah. FSHLH... Um, and actually, so there, we'll talk about GnRH later. Okay. And there is some axis where GnRH is actually affected also. But the biggest thing is, you know, the testicles make less. There's testosterone present, so there's a feedback loop. There is less uh, sex hormones being produced by the testicle, and so therefore you get atrophy. Okay. There's ways around that now that athletes have gotten smart. So GnRH, for example, a lot of athletes take GnRH and testosterone together because GnRH helps prevent the testicular atrophy that you get. Okay, and then... When the body has an excess of testosterone, testosterone can be a precursor for estrogen. Correct. So it converts some of it to estrogen, and then you get the man boobs. That's exactly right. So you can get some gynecomastia as well from that. Yeah. That was in, oh, Fight Club. That was in Fight Club. Bob had bitch tits. That's right. That's exactly right. You can see that in Fight Club. Right. Meatloaf crying about how they give that stuff to horses. It's a great movie. It's a fantastic movie. Helena Bonham Carter is highly underrated in that role. (laughs) But, uh, right, so, so that's the classic thing. And, and you're taking, usually athletes are taking not a little bit extra. It's not a 20% testosterone supplement. No, you're, most athletes, I hate to say this, but go for broke. Meaning they don't want to just gain a little bit of muscle mass. They want to be big. Especially high school football players are not taking it just to see some def- change in definition. They're actually doing it. For two reasons. One is to obviously get much stronger than they were and also to gain weight. So there's a, there's a weight issue, you know, of course, with football playing division one football and a lot of high school athletes take it for that reason. And so, and, but then in terms of adverse effects, so, so there could be mood changes and then there's, isn't some cardiovascular risk. So as you mentioned before, there's where the, the quote Roy rage that happens, there is, you get acne as well. And the other thing is the biggest thing, the two biggest organs that are problems are one, um, you get this, um, even though there's conflicting evidence on this, but there's a risk for um, concentric necrosis of the heart. So long time testosterone users um, are at risk of getting kind of this, the kind of this fibrous band on the heart, concentric around the heart and puts the heart at risk for all sorts of different events. But am I... Um, and other things are on the list for that. So it's cardiovascular disease is one. And the other thing is you can get a hepatic injury from uh, steroids and test- taking too much testosterone. People talk about all the time the, you know, the, the hepatic sinusoidal uh, hemorrhages that you can get, which, which does happen. But you can get overall some dysfunction as well. And that's a, it's a, like a pathologic diagnosis. That's if you right. look at the liver slices, there will be these almost like sinusoids that's, that are just filled with blood. blood. That's correct. Yeah. Steroid myopathy with the performance enhancing or no? It depends. So it actually depends on how you cycle your, your steroids. So there's, a, there's actually a regimen that athletes go on to prevent some of the things like you talked about. And where what you, instead of just taking huge, huge hits of it at a time, you actually vary your doses based on like scheduled days. So you can try to prevent some of that, um, you know, the muscle, some of the muscle injury that you can get. Uh, from taking the storage, you actually vary your dose depending on the day. Right. And this is like, it's always interesting to me because, I mean, if you get into it and there's always deeper and deeper levels and there's people who take this to an, a very sad art form or just like illicit drug use, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do it. And there's a lot of terminology associated with it. So there's, there's cycling. There's cycling. And then there's stacking. Cycling and stacking. Yeah. So realistically, both of those 
strategies in taking uh, steroids are done so that uh, to help you also evade detection. So what you'll do is you'll cycle your steroid. So if you know that you have a drug test coming up, uh, what you can do is you can actually take your steroids on certain days so that when it comes time to take you know your drug test, that your probability of testing negative is much higher. Um, so cycling again is is you know you're taking it taking the steroid also also in, a lot of times in combination with another agent um, where you're taking your steroids at different you know different times in order to keep your concentration right at a certain amount to help you evade detection. And stacking is you know the dosing. So you can stack you stack up and then stack down. So you start taking increasing doses of steroids up to a certain point and and on the other end of the curve, you're taking less and less doses. And so, you know, you'll get the effect that you want, but at the end of it, you also uh, increase your uh, likelihood of evading detection. On, on and in terms of detection, what are they detecting? But what is the, uh, what's the, the, what's the test for? Yeah. So there are, so there are certain metabolites of testosterone that are now looked at. Number one. And the other thing they're testing for is your testosterone to epitestosterone, the ratio. And so what that means is, is that, so for example, if you have epitestosterone, so in the human body, epitestosterone and testosterone are, should be almost in a one-to-one ratio. And there are isomers or there are metabolites, which the, so, so, yeah, so, so it's, 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 a, it's all, it's basically a metabolite. There's actually, it's more, it's a more complicated metabolism than just that they are true, true isomers of each other. You can make some testosterone from epitestosterone, okay. uh, but in general, it, when, when they're made from one central site, so DATA, um, you make both of those compounds. Okay. So epitestosterone and testosterone. And it's made one-to-one. So for most men, um, that ratio is one-to-one. If it starts to veer from that, that's how you pick up a positive test. So, for example, um, you know, if, you're, if your concentration of testosterone is way higher than your epitestosterone, that means you're likely using exogenous testosterone. Right now, the cutoff is four to one because you know, of course, everyone's not exactly the same. There's so that there's curve. Variation. Yeah. Exactly right. So there's some variation, and the cutoff is four to one. That's how Ryan Braun got caught from the Milwaukee Brewers. He won the NL MVP three years ago. Got caught using steroids, and the reason that they caught him is because his ratio was greater than four. So he had far more testosterone than epitestosterone, which the body wouldn't normally do. Exactly. So it suggests that he's taking exogenous testosterone. Exactly. Kind of like, I mean, the equivalent might be if you're looking at like uh, insulin and C peptide, and if someone very has similar. a huge amount of insulin and very little C peptide, then yeah. they're probably taking exogenous. And then do they also look at precursors in terms of like stimulants, like luteinizing hormone or other things because of the feedback loop? So when you take, so we haven't talked about GMRH, oh. uh, but, but gonadotropin releasing hormone, okay. one of the uh, players in the NFL from the Indianapolis Colts got caught using GNRH. Okay. Um, very fun, actually a funny story. His, re, his reason for saying that oh. he's using it. Actually, wait, one tiny thing. Yes. So is this a separate steroid class thing? Because I know we're jumping into sex steroids or is it, it's, no, it's the same. Well, it's, 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 it's separate. So we should... Well, you lost well, no, no, this is fine. The one thing, though, is I, I, uh, I wanted to... So two things. So, yes. though, so you mentioned it wasn't illegal yet. 
But when we talk about performance enhancing substances, there's really two classes, right? There's, there's illegal in that society and the law have determined that these substances are more harmful than beneficial or illegal. And then there's regulatory requirements, which are often more strict and stringent, which um, uh, sports bodies, which are self-policing, might add something. So even though something might be totally legal, a sports body, depending on the sport that you're doing, might consider different agents not allowed. That's exactly right. So you can walk around to take these agents, but you can't walk around taking agents and play in the NFL. Okay. Because if you caught plant haven't been positive for them in the NFL, then you are you you know there's there's a consequence Whatever the rules are at the time, there's a consequence, for example, in a professional league. Okay. And we'll talk about different substances later on that may or may not be on that. But then, and then the other thing that I find really interesting is, so now even though legally most of the testosterone and testosterone analogs are illegal, DHEA is not illegal. So DHEA actually used to be used as a supplement. Yes. It was actually used for um, certain conditions as a supplement, but DHEA, um, DHEA has been now banned. DHEA is banned now by the FDA. But it's technically considered, I thought, a nutritional supplement. And so, so even though, so it was that it was out there and then it was only by prescription because it was a substance and then it was banned, but then it was determined that it was a supplement. And if it's a supplement, then it has different rules. So you can walk into GNC and buy DHEA. That's correct. So in saying that in the circuitous way that this happened is that you're right. As a supplement, there's a regulation in 1994 uh, where if you are a supplement before that year, if you've been on the market, then the regulation of those supplements is different than they are for something today. And so you can go and find small concentrations of DHEA and vitamin shop or you know GNC, like you said. So there are certain indications for people that they were using this as a nutritional supplement, but you cannot just go out and, um, um, like let's say that I'm a, a high school athlete. I can find DHEA, but the concentrations of DHEA that I can get, I can't find concentrations that, for example, Ryan Braun used when he was Really? You can't just order it online? Can't order it from China? You probably can order Actually, it's a good point. I should look online. I haven't looked recently to see, um, but I'll look online to see. If because that would be interesting because I didn't realize that the Dietary Supplement Act specified concentration as a limiting factor. Well, so, right. So the Dietary Supplement Act doesn't um, necessarily specify any of that, but there are, so it's not, it's not completely wild, wild west. So it's not like you can just say, oh, well, there's a supplement on the market before 1994, so there's no rules around it. Right, I mean, if adverse, if multiple adverse effects are demonstrated, then, then the uh, FDA, they have the burden of proof, but if they can produce proof, then they can take supplements off the market. All I mean to say, you're exactly right, is it's not like a totally wild west. There is still some oversight in these supplements. Yeah, but I thought DHE was interesting because my understanding is like it became more controlled and then all of a sudden it kind of became more. But you're saying it's lower concentration and DHEA as a testosterone precursor in theory would increase your level of testosterone, but you really have to take a fair amount to force the system to get an effect. That's exactly right. That's why young kids are not out using because if you think about it, if you're a young kid and you don't have to take a, if you don't have to take a, a drug test to play a sport, then why would you just go and just use all you just use that yeah. you use all day and night? That's and then you don't have to worry about ever being caught or trying to find testosterone and inject yourself with it. You just go use DHEA. Okay. So it's not so simple. And and the other thing with testosterone is it's kind of hard to administer. In terms of its formulation, injection versus oral, right? Right. So most 
most people inject their steroids in order to kind of uh, prevent that first first pass effect. So most people, you'll see them actually inject right in their glute or wherever, or in their upper thigh is where most people use it. Because the liver pretty much destroys testosterone. Right. There's enzymes galore in there to help uh, break the testosterone down. And so um, if you want full effect, um, you want to try to bypass that. Which makes sense, because if you're eating an animal you don't want to experience the hormones of the animal. So it would make sense that our liver has developed to destroy hormones. Enzymes all over the place to metabolize all those ways. You're exactly right. So you're not getting that full effect. Okay. Isn't there, is there a conjoiner or a formulation that's oral that's a little, that's like mm-hmm. to avoid some of the first pass or? You can, yeah, you can absolutely. But it's, um, so for example, like uh, men that have low testosterone, a lot of them use a cream or a gel yeah. in order to bypass that, um, the, the metabolism of the liver. Okay, so by absorbing it systemically, mm-hmm. then they avoid that whole portal circulation yes, as they exactly avoid right. first-pass metabolism. Exactly. So you just you get the full effect of the testosterone by using it as a cream. You don't necessarily swap or inject it, but you can put it on your body as a cream and you can get it that way. In fact, Balco, which is a lab in Florida, uh, they got in trouble for you know for Barry Bonds. When Barry Bonds got in trouble the year he did, their, the formulation they used was a cream. So they, they was in a little syringe, um, they would have a little uh, cream in there, and you could rub it on your rub it on you, and you would get the full effect without having to take pills, without having to inject or inject yourself. You rub a cream on, and you would get the full effect of whatever hormone you're using without you know meta- metabolic degradation by the liver. Okay, yeah, similar to I guess some of the estrogen vaginal right. creams that are used. That's exactly right. So, uh, so we've talked about after school special uh, testosterone and testosterone variants, which are because they're probably one of the oldest performance enhancing substances. Yeah. So uh, some of the old, yeah. So testosterone is probably one of the older, more widespread uh, performance enhancing drugs. I mean, even back into the days of when there was East Germany in the Olympics and uh, the women's shot put team. I mean, you look at a lot of those female athletes, they are virilized because they actually, at the time, you know, some of those things were not banned. And um, there were programs where they would give anabolic agents to even females who were shot putting. And you would see that they would be virilized with their, they were huge, but they would also have some virilization. So, um, yeah, that was probably one of the older widespread Drugs. I mean, even back to 19, you know, in the early 1900s, the steeplechase, they were using tincture of pagoric and opium, um, even back then, uh, during the running of the steeplechase. So there, this performance hand drugs go all the way back to the days of ancient, in ancient Greece. I mean, there, there are agents that they thought implant and things would, you know, make you run faster and be, you know, more, uh, more of a man in your, in your community. And so that there's, there are reports of even the ancient Greeks using agents that they thought performance. They're probably wrong, but... Right. As long as there is performance, there has been... Uh, <laughs> a, a man has sought to enhance it. To be better, you got to be better and better. Better, stronger, better, faster. Faster. Better. Yes, yes. Yes. Um, and then, and then actually, so it's like, it's like the original energy drink. That's right. But That's speaking right. of energy drinks, though, and this is... So this is my favorite performance-enhancing drug, personally, is caffeine. Yes. I like I like caffeine. That's probably the most widespread performance-enhancing, athletic performance-enhancing drug. And... It is, you know, it's known. So it's actually in the NCAA, certain concentrations of caffeine, if you go above it, you trigger it, it's illegal. It's, it's, uh, it's bait. And that's a serum concentration. Yeah. yeah. And that, because caffeine really doesn't, so testosterone, you're trying to take it for long lasting effects. Right. Versus caffeine is really an acute, an acute I'm effect. A I'm going to swim the 100 meters today. I'm going to go sit in the back and I'm going to drink as much caffeine as I can without bumping up over the limit. So I get that burst that I need for my acute fast twitch 
uh, event. It's not for a marathon runner. It's not for a cross-country skier. It's for the 100-meter sprint. It's for, you know, a person who's going to go do something very quickly, like a swimmer or for weightlifting, any kind of acute, right. acute uh, increase uh, metabolism needed activity, caffeine has been shown to be performance enhancing. Absolutely, and on, and honestly, even just test taking, like mm-hmm. mentally, caffeine is a is a yeah. is a focuser. and taking it all around the country now. Nodos right. is a popular uh, right. caffeinated. I once took a couple of no-dos in college and I was so tolerant and so tired. I went right to sleep. <laughs> so there is, there is something to be said for, to- yeah, for tolerance. So that, so caffeine mm-hmm. along with, um, theophylline and, and all the methyl xanthines. Mm-hmm. So those classically increase levels of cyclic AMP. Correct. And that's the, that's the, the signal transduction is that they increase, uh, concentrations of cyclic AMP and phosphokinase A. And what you do, what you get is you get a boost. So what they, it's all, it's known the cyclic AMP, uh, you get a boost of energy. For various, through various mechanisms of release of ATP, you get a boost of energy. And that's why people do so. Okay. Um, however, in, in overdose or in toxicity, classically, I think the, the classic teaching is you vomit. Like, true methylxanthine toxicity, you vomit. If you don't vomit, you probably don't have methylxanthine toxicity. Okay. But also, anyone who's taken a lot of caffeine and felt jittery, you'll get those sympathomimetic effects mm-hmm. of the tachycardia, the diaphoresis. In severe forms, I've definitely I've seen kids who have taken a bunch of caffeine and had seizures. Mm-hmm. Usually, probably people who are at risk for seizure to begin with, but certainly that, just like any kind of sympathomimetic toxicity, you'll see some of that. Correct. That's um, correct. Yeah, so that's you know, you, you'll see, especially, again, a high school athlete who doesn't know better, who's about to run the 200, who will sit there and drink. There's a, there's a case, um, it's interesting, it's in the literature, there's a case of a kid who decided to do two things before a high school, 100 meter, at their high school. They decided to drink an energy drink due to its caffeine and its guarana. Um, oh, yeah, the, the bull... The, the bull uh, uh, vitamins. Like, that's what's called Red Bull, is because they used to get some of the um, guanine mm-hmm. and other things. In theory, it's in high concentrations in the bile of bulls. bulls right, right. Now they don't get it from there. Now it's just a marketing club. Right, but, right, right, yeah. right. But now, yeah, exactly right. So now it's all, it's all synthetically made. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you, you know, there's a kid who took a ton of energy drink and drank vodka right before going out and running the 200. And this kid ran the 200 and he syncops during the race. They bring him in. Um, he's in full-on rest. They perform ACLS and get him back. Uh, but the kid's creatinine was eight or ten or something very high. They had to give, you know, perform emergent dialysis. Uh, I can't remember if he had an electrolyte problem, but the caffeine is as accessible as any performance-enhancing drug. And so, um, high school students and athletes across America are using it to enhance perform, athletic performance for their, you know, for the trees. No, that's good. And I think in, in moderate doses, so first of all, kids never need to have caffeine. That's the one thing. Like right. there's no nutritional there's requirement no for a child to have caffeine ever. So realistically, children never need caffeine. That being said, in moderate doses, because this always gets me, like somebody will be like, oh, I'm quick coffee. I'm not going to drink coffee anymore. I'm off caffeine. I think that's great if you want to, but people talk about it like they quit smoking. But smoking has been associated with horrible health effects. Um, Caffeine in moderate doses does not have severe toxicity or long-term effects as far as I know of. I agree momentary, maybe short-term increase in blood pressure, heart rate that are non-significant. A little, tremor, a little bit of tremor. Yeah, that's it. Right. I agree with you 100%. There right. is 
basically no toxicity. Good. No, no severe toxicity. No, right, exactly. Yeah. That being said, though, as you mentioned, anything worth doing is worth overdoing. Yeah, right. And athletes uh, who take a ton of caffeine, and now it's available in so many forms. So if you wanted to abuse it, you could always get like powdered or pharmaceutical grade. But now with little, you know, uh, two ounces or one ounce of an energy drink, along with some coffee, along with some no-dos, like you can have massive quantities of caffeine. Absolutely. And that can lead to... Uh, toxicity. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is most of the supplements that promise increased energy have some form of caffeine or some form of uh, equivalent or stimulant in them. And that's why I think it was in Australia, New Zealand, uh, oh no, Hawaii also, there's the performance enhancing agents that are supposed to be natural, but they often have sort of amphetamine-like right. drugs. Right. that Guana, have, for example, that, right. get, that is exactly right. right. Been associated with um, rhabdo and liver failure and liver injury. So whenever I see in the ED, if I get someone who comes in and I either have palpitations or they have a weird effect, and in young people, it's usually either tox or nothing. I always say, you're taking something, and they'll say, oh, I'm on a, I'm, you know, I'm on a, I'm on a protein shake. And I always have to say, is it just a protein shake or is it like a protein plus energy? Is it, or a meal supplement. Or meal supplement, that's yeah. Right. That's right. right. That's right. Because even if it's all natural, it usually just has variations of the form of, of stimulant that's in right. it. Yeah. That's exactly right. And uh, it's funny because a lot of people don't know it when they're taking it. It is go to GNC. And like you said, they see supplement of some sort. They take it. They say, oh, well, here it is. This is a workout supplement. Well, yes, that workout supplement probably has protein, and it also has probably a nutrition, a, a partitioning agent in it. But like you just mentioned, um, most all of them are also going to have some sort of stimulant in it to help you work out harder. And uh, most people don't really know that. Most people don't look and read the actual um, ingredients. And so that's, that's a little bit concerning. Yeah. But as you said, not to sound the alarm on caffeine, uh, if you drink coffee moderately, there is basically no severe toxicity. That's good. As we drink our coffee. As we're sitting here drinking our coffee. That's right. Enhancing That's our right. performance. Yes. And alcohol, mixing alcohol and caffeine has been associated with some problems. And, yeah. Uh, there was yeah. a kid, there were the, the college kids in Florida who uh, were drinking a, a caffeinated, an ethanol combination um, who got all that really sick. And of course, they probably drink way too much of it. And um, so they got really sick. So that's that's been a problem also. I haven't heard any uh, recent horrible cases. I'm sure they're out there. Um, but that, that's a bad combo. Yeah. Okay. And so that's, so we've talked about testosterone. We've talked about my favorite sort of caffeine and just kind of stimulants. You know, I think, oh, uh, what did they used to give to the pilots during the war? Amphetamine? Uh, yeah. Well, it was, it was yeah, amphetamine derivatives. Mm-hmm. And the pirates, pilots were able to fly longer, faster, yes. stay more focused. Uh, they might have gone a little psychotic, uh, but, but they, that's but right. they were. And, well, yeah. well, actually, speaking of amphetamine, um, they used to give amphetamine to soldiers. Yeah. That was a, as a performance-enhancing agent because you were able to focus, you were more alert, and your, if you had pain, your uh, response, your body's response to pain is blunted with these amphetamines. So they actually were giving some soldiers, uh, decades ago, amphetamine and send them out on the battlefield. Yeah, amphetamine has even been associated with increased STD transmission because of increased sexualized behavior and a decreased perception of pain leading to maybe loss of the normal protective feedback loops that can lead to, you know, blood and other other transmission of STDs, actually, yes. oddly enough, well, scarily sense. enough. Yeah. Yes, some wild stuff happens. Yes. So, and then, so testosterone, um, amphetamine, and stimulant derivatives, and then you have been dying to talk about GNRH and growth hormone, and I feel like a lot of growth hormone is a lot of people feel like that's where it's at. Yeah, so... 
Um, it's interesting. So GMRH is just is funny. Well, not funny, but there's is it is an uh-huh. anecdote. Yeah, that's right. Um, there was an Indianapolis Colts football player who uh, was caught using GMRH. A lot of male athletes use GMRH, as we mentioned before, in order to prevent the side effect of testicular atrophy while using steroids. Um, but GNRH also does some other things, like it helps you with your fat metabolism, it helps you gain a little uh, lean muscle mass, so it has other uh, advantages. And so um, this particular athlete was caught using it. His GNRH being gonadotropin-releasing releasing hormone. hormone. That's okay. correct. Yeah, so in the axis, um, you know, gonadotropin-releasing hormone coming from the hypothalamus um, down. And... Um, the interesting thing, and obviously to release gonadotropin is uh, downstream is what is being is being produced and, and secreted. And so, this particular athlete, um, his his uh, explanation as to why he was using it was he explained that he and his wife were trying to have a child, and he was taking it in order to help that pro- that process along. And as you know, FSH G, or gonadotropin helps um, regulate FSH and LH also. Uh, but it's just interesting because he's male. And so his concentrations of FSH and LH make zero difference in helping to help his wife get pregnant. That didn't really make all that much sense. So. I think it's, I don't know, there's very few men though. I think there's a lot of stigma with, with infertility in men. And yeah. I think that's the first time an athlete has stood up and said, no, 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 I'm sexually... I'm not so virile. Yeah. Not, I, I, I have a feeling that that is not his, not his primary reason. So it's interesting. I'm not sure. Because he had or, six kids already. No. Right. right. No, that's, I, actually, somebody should look into that uh, to see because that would, that would defeat the, his argument. Uh, but it was just that it was a very fishy argument um, why he was actually taking it as opposed to his wife taking Clomid, which helps you increase your FSH knowledge. But then gives you the hot flashes. And that gives you a whole lot of other. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that's there's that. Oh yeah, and I threw them together, but they're different. But so growth hormone, human growth hormone. So that's the. I think that that's the performance enhancer du jour, because I I think it does three. I think that the the market for growth hormones in three years. One, it's a performance enhancer acutely, so increased muscle mass, decreased fat. You know, it does a lot. It makes you feel. You know, just a sense of well being. All of those things. So. Um, for an athlete, that's all fantastic, right? And so um, I think that's one of the markets. The second market is for aging. There are a lot of people who believe that you age better, live longer if you take uh, growth hormone for various reasons. And for a male, your growth hormone starts to decrease in your 30s. And so you have a you know a two decade drop, significant drop in your growth hormone. So is that why? That's why I feel this way. That's why. Yeah, that's why I tell everyone. That's why I feel so terribly. Also, because I lose my 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 growth hormone. But um, there's a lot of people who swear, older men who swear by using growth hormone to make them feel so much better and increases their libido. It uh, you know they, it changes your body, makes your body much. But have they done placebo controlled steps for this? Because these are the same older men that used to eat. Oysters, or you know, yeah. I don't know. Eat the heart of a boar. Is there is there any data to support that in the older men? The libido, or ever, in general? Or yeah. yeah. Well, it definitely increases your. It definitely increases your uh, your lean muscle mass for sure. What's interesting is the reason why. So that's so the athlete, this, the professional athlete who's currently performing, the older person who wants to age more gracefully. And then the third, I think, in a new up-and-coming category for growth hormones use is rehabilitative medicine. So let's say you were a, an athlete 
Um, and honestly, if you think about, especially NFL players and NHL players, I mean, those games are unbelievably hard on the body. And these guys have to get operations and, and they get operated on all the time. Yeah. It's so, like living in a war zone. Exactly. Exactly. exactly right. I mean, there are most, a lot of players, you hear about some players getting five, six, seven surgeries during their career. I mean, it is a, it's really, especially in the NFL, it's tough on the body. It's a violent game. And so um, a lot of these guys get surgery. So the question now has become growth hormone is a great rehabilitation. It helps in rehabilitation after surgery, recovery time. So the question now is, is should the NFL, so for example, you have a surgery and then you're going to go recover and you're not playing, should you be allowed to use growth hormone with the supervision of a physician and the supervision of the NFL just to get yourself back to playing shape and then you discontinue the use after that? So that seems to be a, a growing uh, of a third kind of a, an indication for the use of uh, growth hormone and some of these other medications as a rehabilitative medicine. And is that one of the reasons that in general, you know, if you're in your 20s and you injure yourself or you hurt something, you kind of bounce back a little bit. But everyone's been that weekend warrior in their 40s and their first injury, it takes longer to recover, longer to heal. That's, and that might be due to that. That's exactly. A lot of people believe that that is exactly the reason why a 20-year-old will recover in three days from something, but it would take a you know 50-year-old three weeks to recover from the same injury and that the you know, decreased levels of growth hormone is one problem. And I'm sure that a, a complex inter, interactions of other hormones and things in their body and with that reduction in them makes it hard for them to recover. So do you see like in the future, like a silver NFL, like of senior citizen players, like bionic warriors who just, no? No, no probably not. Playing. Probably not that, but I, I do foresee giving these guys every advantage to get back in the game. So even if it's using growth hormone with you know supervised dosing by a physician that's with oversaw overseen by the NFL, I do see that being an option. I'm not saying that that's the right way, but I think that the NFL and some of these other sports things may just want to look at. And and you've talked about taking growth hormone, although what I also love is my understanding is that one of the reasons for the popularity of DHB amongst some weightlifters is that growth hormone is, is cyclically released also, so which makes it hard to monitor because it, it can be cyclical. Mm -hmm. And when you're sleeping, you often have increased levels of growth hormone. And this has led to the idea that sort of sleeping more, which is true, sleeping more is good for you. Absolutely. But if you take something like GHB, uh, which is GABAergic and essentially knocks you out, that it can lead to increased muscle mass. That's right. Because it, 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 so GHB helps you to regulate your REM sleep. And during REM sleep, you get a large release of growth hormone in your body. I mean, sleep is a rehabilitative thing, right? Sleep is rehab. Growth hormone and other uh, hormones that get released during sleep help you with rehab. But that is why an athlete, if you're a weightlifter and you're using GHB anyway for um, you know some growth hormone, so you want to get bigger, if you get hurt and you have surgery, then by all means, a weightlifter would be enticed to use it because not only are they going to get the, the muscle effect, but also, once they've had their injury, they can recover from their injury faster by supplementing their growth hormone. Is that ever been? Has that ever? I mean, I, I've heard about that, but has that ever been validated that GHB leads to increased muscle mass? 
I, I knew it as the tale, as, yeah. the, as, the, as the old wives' tale, but I didn't know if there was any data to back it up. Well, I, I can tell you that um, if you look anecdotally <laughs> in the past, uh, a lot of very large uh, weightlifters have sworn by, uh, will come out in, 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 in context and have sworn by the use of GHB during their weight powerlifting days in order to gain muscle mass. Or if, because GHB is illegal, they'll sometimes take the precursor. Yeah, you can take 2,4-butane-diol. Uh, 2,4-butane-diol like, yeah, is a, one of the precursors to GHB, so you can take that and make more GHB. So yes. You can do yes. that as well. I hope you enjoyed the first part of the interview where we talk about classic drugs like steroids and how we test for them. Join us next time for part two, where we talk about a certain famous cyclist as well as a way to test for performance-enhancing drugs, even when the drug has left the body. Now, you can find out more information at our website, TalksNow.org, or follow us on Twitter at TalksNow. And please feel free to leave a comment about us on the iTunes store, as that's how a lot of people find out about us. I'm Matt Zuckerman, signing off. Talks Now is produced by Matt Zuckerman with support from the American Academy of Clinical Toxicology. You can reach out to us by emailing us at talksnow at talksnow.org. That's T-O-X-N-O-W. Or via our Facebook page or tweet us at TalksNow. Okay, so you left the episode playing and you've gotten to the very end. And so as a fun extra, I've decided to include some audio we have of Chris, who when we were recording this episode could not stop talking about how excited he was about his new cell phone, the Galaxy Edge, with super secret side display. Give me a text message. Give me a text message. Watch what happens. Here, no, no, sit down, James. You gotta sit down. Oh, I have to sit down. Watch what happens. Watch what happens. Watch what happens. See, I don't want people... I'm a government operative. I can't have people seeing what's coming through my phone. So you have to lay the phone face down. It has to be face down so that you can't see. So before you had this model of phone. Did you just send me a text message? I did. Okay. Wait, wait. I I have Sprint, so it takes a while. Oh, somebody's texting me. Why why does that matter? Because it's face down so you can't see who is texting you or any content, but yet you are are notified. But if if you weren't looking at it, you would have missed it. Yeah, but no, no, that's the point. That's exactly the point. It's the same thing as if you had your phone up. If you weren't looking at the phone, you would have missed it anyway. So why can't you just have the phone up? Because I'm an important human being. I cannot let you and James see the important... But why can't it just say, you got a text? When Barack Obama is texting me, you guys cannot know that Oh, is that true? Is that what happens? To ask me about (laughs) foreign affairs and things. You have no idea what I wrote. I know, but I know... You know who isn't texting you? Trump.